you think that you're going to say that 45 times, 45 different people, and they're not going to air it and make a huge obvious segment about you going around being really, really shallow and disrespectful? But like, get out of here. It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 91, the Alexander Degg edition of the podcast. Some younger people may not even remember him, but he was drafted by the Ottawa Senators first overall in 1993, and I always pulled for him, namely because he never fully lived up to expectations. He wasn't an awful NHLer, as he picked up 327 points in 616 games with six different squads, but he always made you want a little bit more. It's hard, given the fact that the Sens were an expansion team and a dumpster fire of an organization, plus he was drafted one spot before Chris Pronger, a Hall of Famer. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. This episode is milestone-worthy. It marks the three-year anniversary of the H-Dog Pod. I can't believe it's already 91 episodes. I couldn't have done it without my editor, Grant Roberts. Thank you so much for that. And Musho, appreciate you all listening. Drop me a note. Hit me up. Would love to hear from you folks. My next guest is a huge NFL and reality show fan, and she's a fan favorite. So let's get to it. Without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on Katie Caldwell. She's a recurring guest, having been on episodes 20 and 45. And with the NFL playoffs kicking off, I thought it's a perfect time to discuss all things NFL, amongst other things. Welcome back to the H-Dog Pod, Katie. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure to be back. It's so long overdue. And also, I'm also doing this for the first time on video format. So we'll see how this goes. Perhaps I will be such a disaster and I don't know technology and I definitely <laughs> don't know technology. It might be so bad that the editor extraordinaire, Grant Nabesy Roberts, might not even be able to edit this, this video because I've screwed up so many settings. So it's possible people might see this on camera or more likely just the audio version because I've screwed everything up. So only time will tell on that, I guess. Hey, the fact that we've tried, that's what matters, my friend. And we've done a really good job of troubleshooting. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I was going on wrong to begin this before we even uh, started this podcast, but we're good now. So um, as I mentioned there, NFL, before we get to the playoffs, and, and obviously it's going to be a phenomenal postseason, uh, give me your thoughts on some of the coaches. I know there's one in particular you definitely <laughs> loved uh, during the regular season, and they came oh so close to making the playoffs. Are you talking about my dear Dan Campbell? Oh, actually, so I was referring to your, uh, I was referring to Jeff Saturday and how great of a coach. Oh, yikes! Yikes! Um, yes, Jeff Dan Saturday, Campbell. What, what? Yeah, which one do you want to start with? Because I have some thoughts about both situations. Let's go. Uh, whichever one you want, and then we'll go to go into the next one. Um. Yeah. Let's talk about Jeff Saturday. Yikes. Man. What a bizarre situation for uh, owner Jim Ursay to put him in. Like, just uh, he's never coached anywhere other than like at the high school level. And all of a sudden, yeah, now you're going to be a head coach of a, of, a, of a football team. It wasn't taking over a great team. He was taking over a bad one. So that's, yeah. ugh, yikes. He was, but it was a team that going in, like, how many times did you hear the words, oh, well, the Colts are winning the AFC South? So, yeah, the team was bad, but they weren't necessarily expected to be that bad. True. But the thing is with Jeff Saturday, like, it's been spoken about, thankfully, by a lot of people because I think it's really important. But Jeff Saturday, he wasn't someone that worked his way through the coaching ranks. And like you said, he doesn't have a lot of experience there. You know who does? Reggie Wayne. 
that's someone that I'm looking at going, okay, it feels like example number 10,000 of a black coach being totally overlooked for someone that they just knew each other pretty well. Right. Reggie Wayne was an incredible player for the Colts too. Like I, there's a lot of people saying, well, oh, Jeff Saturday knows the guys he played. It's like, you know who also did? Reggie Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously Hall of Famer. And uh, well, even in, uh, in the same division, you, you look at uh, two black coaches back-to-back years for the Houston Texans. Now, then again, they're just a disastrous organization to, to begin with. But still, David Culley, I'd like to get into that after because yeah, I yeah, do well, the parallels. It's, it's insane. David Cully and uh, Lovey Smith. But yeah, it's the Colts uh, are a mess. With Jeff Saturday, I'm assuming he won't come back as the actual head coach going into next year. I'd be crazy if it was, if it were to happen, yeah. but uh, you never know. But yeah, Dan Campbell, speaking though of coaches who uh, definitely will be back and were great. He was awesome for Detroit, eh? Man, I've been so high on him just because his energy is so fun. And he's he's almost like a caricature of what you think a football head coach would be. And then, I don't know, if, did you watch Hard Knocks? I didn't know actually. Okay, I'm a, I haven't watched that. It's uh, you think I would have. Oh, uh, I, I, I have not. I'm a really big Hard Knocks fan. It's like I love the storytelling because it's HBO. It's just always going to be a ten. But I work with NFL rookies, and so much of it is focused on rookies of who's going to make the team, who's not, and they find their guys. And the Lions was they were so entertaining, and they made it so impossible not to cheer for them. And Dan Campbell, like half an episode in, I'm like, I'll take a bullet for this man right now. Like he's <laughs> that type of guy that if I had one wish for this regular season, it was just to have a live cam of every single locker room speech that he gave. <laughs> because he's someone that just like makes me want to not to use all these cliches, but like run through a brick wall. Like he is the ultimate players coach. And I love how he's built his staff, bringing in all former players and just like a room of guys that all really, really get it. It just, he really extracted so much out of this team. Like Amon Ross St. Brown last year, he was a mid round draft pick. Malcolm Rodriguez, like he was such a big character on Hard Knocks this season, Rodrigo. And he he was what like he was he was mid rounds. I don't remember which round, but I think he was a sixth rounder, if I'm not mistaken. Something yeah, along. He's definitely a late round pick for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I just like his ability to really extract so much out of these players that yeah, you have to credit the lines for what they saw in them and getting these late round gems. But you need a support staff that can really teach them and take as much out of them as possible. And the Lions, like, man, you know I love the Seahawks, but. That that game, I'm I'm kind of hoping for the Rams in this weird, broken part of my mind because I just so badly didn't want the Lions story to end. Obviously, right. I'm going for the Seahawks. It's a really tough matchup against the Niners, as we'll get into. But the Lions were just so electric and so fun, especially that back half. They were one of the teams that I wouldn't want to be playing them because of when they got hot and that momentum they were carrying in. Oh, so 100%. much of that, Dan Campbell. Totally. And I, I remember last year, actually, I was watching a game with a buddy when I was about to go uh, on a trip uh, to Spain with him, brag. And he was <laughs> saying how Dan Campbell is this terrible coach, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, no, no. This Lions roster last year was abysmal. And like they're competitive in almost all these games. They were losing most of them, but mm-hmm. they were still very competitive. And actually going into this year, I actually bet on the Lions to win the NFC North. Unfortunately, the Vikings, of course, obviously took that. But I've I've all been all in on Dan Campbell as well. And again, part of it, as you said, maybe it's because it's just so he's so entertaining that like sometimes you could be entertaining and just be a lousy coach or whatever. But clearly, those guys played for him, and obviously, 
thank the Detroit Lions so much for beating the Packers to get the Seahawks into the playoffs. I honestly thought that it would be so hard for them to emotionally get into that Green Bay game. Obviously, they're professionals. They're not going to try to lose a game. I would never suggest that. But I thought that they would have a really tough time getting up to beat the Packers. But thank goodness they did win. Oh, God. Amazing. I picked the Lions in that one. Really? I yeah. just Probably I one of the few, was hoping I for this. Yeah, not a lot of people did. But I think, who was it on the panel heading into the game that did? I think it was Tony Dungy was the only one that picked them. And I just, the energy in that building just seems different right now. And it just felt like it was going to be a very poetic moment in, of Rodgers looking around. They're building the narrative. Is this his last game in Green Bay? Like, there, there's obviously a lot with the Packers. And they had a pretty hot end to the season, too. They caught me off guard big time. But what I loved in that game, what, and this is like another testament to Dan Campbell. I could talk about this man all day. <laughs> They're up by, what, four points? It's just over two minutes left in the drive at the fourth quarter. He throws mm-hmm. it to Amon Ross St. Brown, and then he pitched it back to DeAndre Swift. Everyone was blocking, and every like the broadcast crew's freaking out. I think he got like 15 yards on his third, third and 17, or second and 17. But I'm watching that going like, how can you not cheer for this team? Like, how is wow. this team not making it to the playoffs? Like, it was such a moment where you're like, look at the stones of this coaching staff, that that was their play call. It was so risky. They went for it on fourth down all the time. Like, it was very much just like, we trust our guys. We can do this. And I love that energy. It was just that play right at the end stood out to me so much of just like, wow, I cannot believe that that's what you played right now. It, it sort of encapsulated, as you said, like that's that's the the Detroit Lions under Dan Campbell. They're going to go for it. Mm-hmm. Of course, may not work every single time, but they went for it. And actually, previous podcast guest Luke Wilson was on the Sports Center with Jay Onright show, and he was blasting that play call. He actually hated the fact that like they did that, uh, which is funny because it worked. I could I, normally a lot of times people will blast a play call if it doesn't work. I, I always hate results based oriented thinking. It, only if it doesn't work, it's bad. But he's still to his credit. To Luke's credit, he was still blasting it, even though it worked. And uh, and then, yeah, I think it was, what, fourth and two? They could have gone for the field goal. If they got it, Green Bay could have tied it after with a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So they said, no, fourth and two, let's go for it. And, it, I just, yeah, it's a lot of fun watching the uh, Detroit Lions. I love it. They're not going to be sneaking up on anybody next year, that's for sure. No, uh, and you when you bring up the Vikings and the NFC North, the Vikings, oh, man, like we'll get into them later with their matchup, but – is there a team I trust less in the playoffs right now? Like the Vikings and their point differential was so wild Mm -hmm. because the games that they lost, they were blown out by a thousand points. Like the lions had their defense been what they were in the second half throughout the entire season. I think they definitely could have competed for that division. Yep. And I guess that's why I would, because they started off so horribly. I was like, Oh, well, there goes that bet. But it's like, no, no, they finished, they finished the way I thought they'd start the season. So, Ah, so, so close. Ah, well, whatever. Uh, well, we, we talked about earlier about talking about how ridiculous it is. Talking from one team, Detroit, that's on the rise to a team that's just at the dumpster fire, the Houston Texans. So yeah, we talked about how re- just lunacy, ludicrous, that they've, yeah, back-to-back seasons. They had David Culley, then Lovey Smith, fired black head coaches back-to-back years. Just what are your thoughts on that and how stupid it is, really? Oof. They, yeah, you said it. It's they're an embarrassment of a franchise. It's one thing for one black head coach to be one and done. It was awful. It was sickening. And Lovey Smith, when he was hired in February, 
of last year. He openly spoke about the diversity issues among head coaches in the NFL. And he talked about ways that this is what we can do to bring players up in the rankings. And it's a predominantly black league. Why is it not a predominantly black or representative head coaching staff? And both seasons, this team was going through a rebuild. Both mm -hmm. of these men were not given a shot whatsoever. And when he was fired, I was shocked but not surprised because the NFL just very much works like that. I don't think we have the most inclusive and forward-thinking owners group. But I think RG3 said it best. He said, the Texans fired Lovey Smith after one year. Using two black head coaches to tank and then firing them after one year shouldn't sit right with anyone. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't agree more. I just, it, it's, it was a feeling that just makes you sick because you look at how many white head coaches that happen to know the right person or, oh, give them another year, give them more time to figure it out. Black head coaches don't have that option to sit in that time to figure it out where they do a proper rebuild and you bring in pieces that they can actually show their skill set, show how they work as a head coach with real high functioning players. They just, they were, weren't given a shot and it's just a total microcosm of the problem with diversity in the NFL as a whole. Uh, and also like uh, former head coaches, like say like Leslie Frazier or uh, Vance Joseph, uh, Steve Wilkes was the interim uh, coach there for Carolina. Those guys haven't gotten that second shot. And it's just sort of like, and, and oftentimes that is the case. Like I thought Steve Wilkes one year in Arizona gone. I thought Steve Wilkes with Carolina was relatively good considering the team was brutal to begin with, had no quarterbacks at all. And then of course they shipped out Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson. And I think maybe one other player, I can't remember, but it seemed like he actually did a, did a really good job. But as you mentioned, there's a good chance probably just because they, they're going to find some other new shiny coach that isn't, isn't Steve Wilkes or whatever. And it's just sort of, it's, it's, it is a shame that I, it's just so weird. The NFL is predominantly black. Why wouldn't you want to have someone like that? It just doesn't make any sense. It's just so, so well, weird. and the conversations in the off season are always so frustrating because you start to hear all these names circulating of, Oh, who might it be for this head coach position, whichever. And people are only starting to talk about D'Amico Ryan's. And I haven't heard Eric Bieniemy a lot. And it's like, think about two of the biggest powerhouse units in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs offense and the San Francisco 49ers defense. And they just haven't, like, now I'm hearing a lot of talk about D'Amico Ryans, very rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But I'm going, where has this talk been? Because he's been good for so long. Eric Bieniemy has been good for so long. But if I'm so one of those gentlemen, I'm not interviewing with Houston. Hell no. Well, well no chance. Yeah, Eric if Bieniemy. If I'm I'm not in interviewing with them. I want nothing to do with that franchise. Absolutely. Yeah, As Eric Bieniemy is a, even more of a perfect example because it's been several years now as the Chiefs offensive coordinator. Absolutely any other uh, head, uh, white sorry, uh, offensive coordinator for Patrick Mahomes for five years would have definitely had a, at least a shot at a head coaching gig by now. It doesn't even really, honestly, even feel like Bienni has even had a chance, it feels like. I know he's been interviewed, but it doesn't seem like he's legitimately been close to getting one of these jobs, which is just, just bizarre. It truly is. Well, in the interviews, we hear so many awful stories about it didn't even... And then look at the Brian Flores situation, Exhibit A, where it wasn't a proper actually giving them a shot interview in so many different cases we heard horror stories out of denver like there just so many different franchises where oh yeah we did our due diligence we followed the rules and 
you're not actually giving these people a chance and it's it's nice that people are talking about it because it's pretty damn hard not to the whole mm -hmm. ryan flores situation he has been so brave and important and just done incredible work with his vulnerability and speak speaking to all of this but then it keeps happening and it's it, people are talking about it as we should be yeah, yeah it's it definitely sad and flores was like really good for my speaking of, again just like dan campbell in terms of a coach that brought a team that was brutal and his second year with, i think it was his second year wasn't it with flores, flores with miami like he brought them to a really good team they won maybe seven in a row or something like that last year after losing a bunch of games early in the year so it's like this is the coach like there's there are just there's some coaches you look at them and you're like that's a head coach and some of them you're Big like time no and blind brian flores to me that's a dude he's a coach for sure like that that's a guy i don't know you know what i mean it's just it's just so funny how some of them are just like that they look the part he looks the part but uh, for some reason they got rid of him which is just ridiculous well, and they're a team uh, that, you know, in the playoffs, uh, actually did make the playoffs for a coaching staff that people thought might have gotten axed this year. Uh, of course, we mentioned the Seahawks. Uh, Pete Carroll, mm -hmm. how awesome is it that uh, the narrative has changed 180, not 360. A lot of times people make that mistake. It's changed 180 <laughs> that Pete Carroll, it, people thought 4-13, and 13, they're going to be brutal. And yeah. it's just, I, I, just, I just love that fact that people, are, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this guy who's had a, been a highly successful coach for like 30 years might know something about coaching football. I think I read that he's been in some form of coaching capacity for 49 years. 49 years. Holy yeah. God. That's crazy. And, he's, and, and you still forget how old he is because yeah. he looks so great. <laughs> but man, has it been fun to watch him mm -hmm. coach this year and for Shane Waldron to have the opportunity to coach an offense where you don't have to revolve every single thing around Russell Wilson and what he wants. And we don't need all of the narrative that I was very much a part of, of let Russ cook it, all of it. Like imagine if we knew we'd be having this conversation at the end of the year, heading into the playoffs where the Seahawks are there and the Broncos are not. I for one had the Broncos missing the playoffs and losing their division and not everyone did, but my trust right. in Russell Wilson has just been gone. I think he's washed. I just don't think it's there for him anymore. Obviously, the Nathaniel Hackett project with Russ did not work out. But with Pete, it's just been so fun. And with Gino, it's been so fun. He has been. It's not an accident. He's a good quarterback. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I love the fact that, like, obviously, as we said, like, the uh, Russ Cook, and you know, oh, Pete's a dinosaur. He, he always, always runs the ball. He uh, always burns timeouts. Terrible with challenges, which is still true, by the way. Terrible with challenges. But, like, it's like, well, made him, hold on. Maybe he's protecting his quarterback, Russell Wilson, because the last year and a half, I've been, I've been saying for the last couple of years, the last year and a half in Seattle, Russell wasn't very good. Uh, so maybe he's protecting his quarterback instead of putting him in, right in the line of fire. Because Russ was amazing the first half of 2020 when they let Russ cook. He was great. And then he was an MVP talks. More. Yeah. He, I think he was a front runner, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was for the first eight weeks. And then they let, then he burned down the kitchen, basically. So, But it, it's what's fascinating to me is Pete Carroll goes for it on fourth down a lot, which was always, oh, he's always punting. He's always, you know, taking field goals, blah, blah, blah. And the game we get to get into the playoffs against the Rams, it was fourth and one, I want to say, with like three, four minutes left or something like that in the fourth quarter, down a field goal. I think in the past he might have just gone for the field goal to tie the game. Nope, let's go right behind our left tackle. Let's uh, throw the ball to our rookie, Kenneth Walker. And he ran, for, whatever, 15 yards or something like that. 
I just love the fact, yeah, Pete Carroll is actually going for it. It's, regardless of what happens in the playoffs, likely a Seahawks loss. I love the fact that Pete Carroll – and then they get all these draft picks coming up. It's a pretty good time to be a Seahawks fan for sure. Oh, it definitely is. It just – what a turn of the page that we never, ever could have expected that it would go this way. Like it felt like – week one when they beat the Broncos it felt like that was their Super Bowl and now they're actually playing with a albeit very slim chance for the Super Bowl like it's it was just such a remarkable season and Pete is just Uncle Pete is just so energized like he seems like a new man and it what a different world he's living in now without rest and it's just been it's been fun but okay so let's talk about the matchup then I'm curious okay to get sure your yeah thoughts. yeah let's get into the playoffs yeah on paper it very much seems like Yep. If all goes well for the 49ers, they should win this game. What are your thoughts about this? Because I don't think it's necessarily that cut and dry. Well, the fact that apparently it's supposed to be really, really horrible weather. I think that certainly uh, helps Seattle in terms of making things, you know, Debo Samuel might not be able to friggin' run 80 yards, which he's easily capable of doing uh, at, at any time. And it's same with Christian McCaffrey. I think it'll be a bit closer than people think. I still, obviously, as much as I would love to say, I think Seattle will win. I think probably it'll be like within like pretty much like last time, like within eight, eight point seven, eight points, something like that. But uh, Seattle has a good chance. Now, Kenneth Walker, the third has been outstanding the last three weeks. He's been running the ball. Great. Three 100 yard games. But that's what I'm thinking. I think the Niners are going to try to take him out of the, out of the game and let Gino have to cook. And then with the Seattle being down a couple of receivers, it might be tough on offense for Seattle is what I'm saying. It might be, yeah, Kenneth Walker, he struggled to run against the Niners. Hopefully the momentum of the last three weeks will help him because they really, really, really just bottled up their run game. They couldn't get anything going on them. So for the Seahawks to win, I think this needs to be a really big risk-reward game. Like you said, Gino needs to air it out and he needs to attack them downfield constantly and not just run short and simple routes. You can't do that against San Francisco's defense. And they've tried. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Get it to Lockett. Get it to DK. And like you said, it's supposed to be a super rainy game. Like Those are moments where you have to just capitalize off of mistakes. If there's a fumble, like the ball's slippery, the field's slippery, weird things happen in weather games. You have to capitalize off every single mistake that they make. And and it'll happen. Like your opportunities will be there. And then play a clean, super disciplined game. Defense, like Jordan, losing Jordan Brooks was huge. Mm -hmm. I think Pete will have to be a lot more creative without him and just against the 49ers in general like Brock Purdy that is something I still don't think people are talking about enough Mm -hmm. like he's not just a serviceable quarterback that stepped into a position where he just needed to be good enough to not cost them the game he's been outstanding Mr. (laughs) Mr. Irrelevant as the last pick in the draft yeah you're right I think it's all five of his starts they've won yeah, and, and his numbers, it's like, I don't want to say we're witnessing greatness, but I also don't want to rule that out. His numbers let's, are something. Uh, let's hope we do rule us out after this playoff game. <laughs> yeah, hopefully Brock Purdy just falls for the massive face plant and all of a sudden the love fest for him. But you're right. He does seem like, honestly, it's kind of weird. If he say they do make another deep playoff run, which they're very capable of doing that or maybe even winning the whole thing, he might even be their starter next year. I can't imagine how he wouldn't be. Trey Lance, uh, I'm not feeling great right now if I'm Trey Lance. And <laughs> no. 
I feel so deeply bad for him and his injury. And it, like he was he was someone I was so excited to watch this season. I feel even worse for him now watching Mr. Irrelevant go out there and be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and they're not a big sample size. Like, I understand all of this. Mm-hmm. But when he's been in there, like him and G- Geno Smith, too, they've been two of the biggest stories for me. And it's really fun that they get to go up against each other. Yeah, but, and uh, I'm, I'm stoked for that game. And actually, one of my favorite Seahawks players, uh, Colby Parkinson, I think mm. he, he'll be the X Factor. Nope. Wrong, Hound Dog. Completely wrong. That guy's like six, seven, six, eight, tight end, a lot of speed. Uh, he made, made me like 300 bucks a couple weeks ago because he got a touchdown against the Jets. I love that guy. But uh, <laughs> I think he's an X factor. If they can get him, he's a weapon. He could be a danger, dangerous to other teams. If they can get him involved, maybe you know, four or five catches or whatever, that could be a big you know target in the red zone because Seattle has yeah. struggled in the red zone this year. I'm not sure the exact stats on it, but I know they're not – last few games especially against the Jets and the Rams – They've been struggling in the red zone. Do you think you're going to be better in the red zone against the Niners? Realistically, probably not. So get the ball to Colby Parkinson a bunch, I hope. And on defense, like win it in different ways. Win it with special teams. Win it on defense. Like when you have guys like Tariq Woolen, I don't think they've had a a threat at corner like Woolen, who was drafted in the fifth round since who? Richard Sherman? Like he's had so many big time plays that win it that way. Like, it's I agree I think the 49ers like if they play a good clean game I think it's theirs to lose they're the better team on paper but man especially divisional games are weird and Shanahan is a brilliant coach but I'm really excited to see what Pete Carroll does because he's got a lot of tape on them this season and Carroll up until this year had dominated Kyle Shanahan in his career head-to-head so we'll see and last year at the uh, 49ers had beaten the Rams in both matchups in the re- in the regular season, and then the NFC title game, the Rams ended up beating them for the third time. So yeah, let's hope history in a way sort of re- repeats itself, and Seattle comes out of that game on top. Fingers crossed, but we'll see. Yeah, the next matchup that night is uh, J- Jaguars hosting the Chargers. Your beloved Chargers, you mentioned oh, that uh, you know we're at that that what a matchup. Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence making their playoff debuts. That that's an exciting game. Uh, it is. You know what would have made it a lot more exciting? If Mike Williams was in the game because Brandon Staley didn't start all of his starters in a meaningless game against Denver that they looked awful in. Nice momentum he picked up on that one. I have so many feelings on Brandon Staley right now. I have been an unapologetic Staley supporter (laughs) since day one. There were a few times in the season where I wasn't super pumped about what was happening and I didn't love how quickly Justin Herbert was put back in when he was hurt slash left in for plays after he was hurt. Right. Especially when it's rib, rib cartilage, like that's not easy stuff to deal with, but man, Justin Herbert was in that game against the the Broncos for momentum. I say with air quotes (laughs) and they looked brutal. (laughs) I know. I know because uh, and I hated that because I I wanted Seattle to get the third overall pick. If, the Chargers beat the Broncos. That happens. And I'm like, wait, a, what? They're playing all their guys? This is stunning. Yeah. I thought they're going to arrest everyone. And yet, like you said, they still lost. And Mike Williams got injured. Well, and he's out. He was declared out for the game today. And Chargers yeah. fans have been anxiously awaiting to see because the Brand- Staley had mentioned, oh, maybe he'll come back in the game today. Every day. Oh, still questionable. Still not at practice, but he probably will be Saturday. Well, congratulations, he's not. The Jags are a situation where you can go in there and you can beat them 
in certain ways, like cooking their secondary, which is a lot easier to do when Keenan Williams or Keenan Allen, sorry, isn't being double covered. If you have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on either side of the ball, bring your tight ends and like you can also cook the Jaguars by passing to your running backs. Austin Eckler is great for that. But when you lose Mike Williams, one of the biggest pieces of your offense, if you go back and you watch the Chargers when they didn't have both of those guys together, they were a nightmare because they were easy to figure out. You just double cover and, and then you do your thing and you cook them. And I just, I'm worried that that's exactly what's going to happen again. I, I just have so much anger towards Brandon Staley. It, it doesn't make sense that they were left in there. You had a feeling that something like this was going to happen. It did. Joey Bosa was in and out of that game. Like, it was a situation where you, the Chargers with their injury history, every single fan watching that knew exactly what was going to happen. And it did. And if they lose this game, I think that is Staley's last game as head coach. Interesting. I like that. Take. That's and it's not just the injury thing. Like even the last couple of years, like some clock management or going for it on fourth downs. People people didn't love with him as well. So yeah, that's actually a pretty good take. I think uh, certainly because they have a great roster if healthy, as you mentioned. If healthy, that's, that's the big their caveat. big asterisk. Yeah. Well. Also, Brandon Staley and the Chargers wound up blowing a twenty-seven to nothing lead in this game. Oh. Exactly. And it's also fun speaking of, we were talking about the Lions earlier, a great run to end the season. A lot of fun to see the Jaguars do the same thing. Yes. Uh, and again, yet it's so funny. You get a legit head coach and Doug Peterson, like the NFL. I love how you can, you can either get amazing or just you just fall off a cliff so quickly. The Jaguars are complete dumpster fire with urban Meyer last year. looks like they're going to be brutal and you know, for another whatever, five, 10 years, just knowing the way they've been within one year, boom, they're in the playoffs. They're, they're Win the division. Team. not that it was a particularly challenging division the afc south but they did it and trevor lawrence is that guy like we've Mm -hmm. seen it where he has just i put an mvp bet on him heading into the season because i we knew that urban meyer was a dumpster fire of a head coach (laughs) we didn't know how bad he was because you see trevor lawrence now in this system and it's like this is the same team. Like it just shows us how bad Urban Meyer was for a thousand different reasons. No, yeah, absolutely. They just looked really balanced this year. And I think that's a reason why they could now with this Mike Williams news, I think they could have more leverage over the chargers. Cause I see this as being a bit of a coin flip, Mm -hmm. but because they're so balanced, the chargers are really good at finding a team's one big weakness and really leaning on exploiting that. Like, I think we saw that, when they had both healthy receivers um, against the Dolphins, where they played a ton of man coverage and they just totally shut down the Dolphins. But because the Jags are really balanced and don't have like a big necessary weakness, the secondary I said, but if you don't have Mike Williams, I'm not as worried about it. I, I kind of like the Jags in this one more and more every day. It'd be disappointing. If, I mean, I have actually, uh, futures bets on both of them to win the Super, Super Bowl. Uh, I think I got up the Jaguars when they were like 80 to 1 or something like that, like when they were just starting their sort of come up. But I, I also bet on the Chargers uh, like mid-season or at some point along the line. I'm like, this team legitimately, I think they could be a good uh, value pick. I think they're around plus 2,000, something like, along those lines, to, to win the Super Bowl. Nope. Wrong again. Totally wrong, Hound Dog. Brutal call. But as you mentioned, they just as easily could be out in the first round. And uh, let's move to the uh, 1 o'clock game on the Sunday. 
Bills, Dolphins, no Tua Tagovailoa for the mm. Dolphins, which is just too bad. Like, it would have been so fun. Bill, uh, AFC East rivals, Tua against Josh Allen. Now it's, uh, I think it's, uh, I think Teddy Bridgewater is also out, I believe. So it's, the it sounds like it's Skylar Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. It's just like, uh, yeah. It just makes the, the game so much, you know, in theory, so much less fun. Oh, you're absolutely right. It, this could have been an interesting matchup with Tua because the splits between him being in and out is just such a different thing for that team. Like he he's such a total game changer if he's in and if he's healthy. And that that's a whole different conversation. I selfishly don't think Tua should ever be on a football field again because I know concussions are really scary. But that's a whole different conversation for another day. It's so sad that two was not in it because it could have been like just a total shootout. The Bills secondary is pretty banged up. The Bills defense in general is pretty banged up. They also have obviously just this amazing and miraculous energy around the team. I just got goosebumps instantly thinking about it with the continued good news surrounding DeMar Hamlin, which of Mm -hmm. course is all that matters out of the, out of all of this whole season. That's all that matters that he's okay. But exactly just that's exactly how i feel about it is like that's the biggest takeaway from the entire season is just that's all that matters is that he's okay it's like i still feel full transparency a bit uncomfortable talking about the football side of things i know that that's the nature of this but because he's okay like i like not to turn the page but just to, to continue him in the conversations of how important that medical staff is like and just how grateful we all are that he's okay but the, yeah, to, the bills. So the bills do have that like intangible magic around them, and that energy of every single guy is energized by this because they went through so much collective trauma together. Like I can never ever imagine what that felt like. The, the, the Bengals too, being on that field, being on that sideline. A girlfriend of mine, Rachel Hopmeyer, covers the Bills, and she was on the sideline, and just my compassion for her for everyone in that building like but there is a magic around them right now that they could easily make a super bowl run and go win it all dominantly simply because of the energy that they have there are mistakes the team is still making they are pretty banged up josh allen is throwing picks in the red zone and in the end so zone. often what's going on yeah. with that you know it's like a bit of a thing now big but, time like for most of the season too, it's like, but you're so like, I don't even understand it. You're so good. You don't even need to be like, it's just, it's bizarre that they've been making these mistakes and yeah. hopefully it doesn't come out, you know, rear its ugly head at the worst time for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, or very long night. story short, it just, this would have been so much more interesting if it was Tua, because I think mm-hmm. that game could have been really, really close. They play the bills well and it's the division and they know each other and yeah, it's too bad that this probably will be a blowout. Maybe it's not. Like, there's always one or two, like, weird games, and there's weird upsets. Like, it's the playoffs and one and done. Like, anything can happen, of course. But, yeah, yeah. it's just too bad. Like, just like with Hamlin, for Tua, all I want is for him to be okay. Absolutely, As yeah. A it's person, more than anything. Scary. Oof, it is absolutely scary. Uh, the next game on that slate is a, a game that's – I kind of find it hard to pick a team to win on this one. We, we, uh, you mentioned how Minnesota, a bit of a fraudsters in the, uh, this season, even though they were 13 and four, I think, against the Giants' upstart team, which has been fantastic. Uh, who are you picking there? It's just, a, it's a, it's such a, I almost feel I'm maybe leaning toward the Giants, maybe. I don't know. I've gone back and forth because it's almost the trendy pick to go for the Giants now because 
of the Vikings' ability to blow it so bad. Mm-hmm. I also could see a scenario in which the Vikings win it in very Viking dramatic fashion. They have a big lead. They give it up. They win, they win it by a field goal in overtime, and then they get blown out by 60 points in the next game. Like, I could see that being very Vikings. They're so hard to pick because they have a very, very high ceiling. We've seen what they can do when everything is ticking, but they have a low floor. Very much like I feel about the Cowboys right now. I didn't feel that way about the Cowboys all season, but I feel a bit about them right now. But the Vikings, the floor is so low because Kirk Cousins, especially in a big spot, especially under the lights, has the ability to just completely crumble into a shell of a human being. (laughs) (laughs) That he's just, he's not someone that I have any trust for in a big moment. And they have a, like, they could have weird kicking drama. Like, there's so many ways in which they could lose it. Whereas the Giants, I love how Brian Dayball is coaching. He has been such a cool success story. I love that he sat his starters in the last game. That didn't matter. <laughs> well, is there a particular coach you're upset about that uh, yeah, didn't rest his starters? I can't remember. Yeah, none that come to mind, but I just really respected Dayball. For <laughs> but they, I just think the Giants have way less pressure. Even when yeah. they had their amazing record to start the season, it didn't really feel like, okay, like I didn't feel as representative of their record, just like the Vikings don't to me. But I think this one could be close. There's, they yeah. could go a number of ways, but the Vikings, I just think, could really blow it. And then the Giants just grab it and take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't typically bet uh, pregame uh, in terms of like, you know, straight up teams. Just because I don't find them, I like to bet on things that are a little bit longer shots because it's a bit more fun to do that, uh, and and uh, like like the Colby Parkinson touchdown. But uh, I'm going to stay away from even thinking about betting Giants Vikings because yeah, that, that one's just I, don't, I have no idea. But and so the, the late game that night, I don't know if there's much you want to talk about the Ravens uh, and the uh, Bengals. It just feels like sort of again in theory without Lamar Jackson, and I'm not sure if Huntley's even playing the backup for Baltimore. If not, I mean you would expect anyway the Bengals are going to crush them. No. I'm hearing that it could be trending towards Huntley, which does vastly change it for me. Definitely. Because the Bengals are somewhat in the spot of where they seem to be last year, where their offensive line is just crumbling. And they did a lot of work in the offseason and they brought guys in and like they did bolster, do everything they could to bolster it. But you're losing guys left and right that I just, I worry about Baltimore's defense really, really getting to Burrow. Because Baltimore's defense has the ability to do that. And if you have Huntley on the other side, who we've seen flashes of it. I think it's been a little disappointing compared to my expectations. I've always looked at Tyler Huntley. I said that on my podcast probably eight weeks ago before Lamar got injured, is that I worry about Huntley being a Geno Smith, sitting behind a quarterback where you'll never be the starter unless there's injuries and he could just be wasting his talent because I think his ceiling is really high. So it's been a little bit disappointing based on my expectations. But if he's in there with that offense, with that defense, I think they have a shot in it for sure. Yeah, he's definitely. If he's in there over Anthony Brown, no doubt about that. You you mentioned your podcast there, by the way. Perfect time. Plug that. What, uh, what's your oh. podcast? <laughs> um, this year I was graciously invited to join uh, the Sean and Shook podcast with Nick Shook of the NFL network and covering the Browns and Sean Barry who covers the Bucks down in Tampa. So yeah, yeah it's I been was, fun. It's <laughs> yeah. I listened to a couple episodes. Definitely you guys have great chemistry and yeah, talking NFL like we're doing right now. Thanks. 
<laughs> you forever, right? You can do it for several hours talking to the NFL. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I guess that's the last game in the, in the slate of the, and you touched on the, the Dallas Cowboys. I actually weirdly think this might be better that they had such an awful, awful week 18 game against Washington. And there's like, like basically no expectations for Dallas Cowboy fans. Cause I, I almost feel the same way with, with the Maple Leafs in terms of the year they win or go on a deep run anyway, will be the year that no one's actually expecting them to go on a deep run. This actually might be better going into the playoffs for Dallas because everyone's like, nah, they have no chance. Or maybe not no chance, but they're not, they're not favored. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't say they technically are favored, but it feels like a lot of people are, are leaning toward Tampa Bay. I hear what you're saying. And right now you're right. They don't have a lot of expectation to go far, but earlier in the season they did. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where so many more jobs are on the line because they did have those higher expectations that we need to remember were there earlier. In a perfect world, they would have liked to have been a bit more competitive for the division. And they were up until the end, but then the way they blew it was just so deflating if you're a Cowboys fan. like, But like you said, it might be a good thing because they are hyper aware that jobs are on the line and people are talking about Mike McCarthy being in the hot seat. And I don't, I'm a fan of Mike McCarthy personally, but yeah, that game, that was a tough one to watch as a Cowboys fan that Dallas might have a bit of extra juice and I'm hoping they do just entertainment wise. Like I'm, I'm going for the Cowboys in that game just cause I'm kind of over the Bucks and Brady experience for the season. I don't want to watch any more of it, mm-hmm. but yeah, like da- it, the offense was bad defense, but Dak was bad. And we're yeah. not always used to seeing that. Like he wasn't just the problem, but he was part of the problem. Yeah, so there's he's, a bunch he's... of guys that are playing for a lot in that game. Yeah, Dak's definitely been um, he's been a bit more of a turnover machine here the last couple months. So no question, uh, you and I might be, by the way, the only two Mike McCarthy fans uh, maybe ever. Because especially I think you're right. To, <laughs> you talk to big Green Bay Packer fans; they absolutely hate him. They think that they should have won eight Super Bowls, basically, if not for him. And then, of course, the Dallas Cowboys fans, they all hate him as well. It's just so funny to me. Like this, this If you look at his record, you'd be like, this coach is phenomenal. My goodness. Exactly. He's won one Super Bowl. Now, Sean Payton very much could be the guy that replaces him, or at least that's the rumor that Jerry Jones has wanted him forever. They both have one Super Bowl title. But yet, for some reason, uh, don't get me wrong, I love Sean Payton. But it's just funny how like we, we view Sean Payton as this amazing genius who had Drew Brees, yet we view Mike McCarthy, who had Aaron Rodgers, also won Super Bowl, just like we view them totally differently. It's just so weird hmm. to me. That's an interesting comparison. I hadn't put those together, but I hear what you're saying. I like yeah, that. I get there are some things that Mike McCarthy, no doubt about it. But like, even the top coach, every coach has weird every things. They do. Andy Reid for years, it was a clock management. Pete Carroll, mm-hmm. we already detailed this sort of a lot of time. Oh, he's not aggressive or you know, horrible challenges. Every Even the best coaches make mistakes, as human beings do. And Mike McCarthy, yeah, his in-game stuff can be a little bit sketchy. I still maintain, though, at the end of last playoffs, when he had the the Dak Prescott QB sneak to get closer to the end zone, and, of course, they ran out of time. Like, that actually was a good play if they executed it properly because it gets them yeah. what, 15 yards closer. But the fact that it – back to what I was saying earlier, but the results-based oriented thinking, because they ran out of time, well, that's the stupidest play call in the history of the world. Well, no, but if they executed it, it would have been a pretty smart play call. So Mm -hmm. I I particularly hate that in sports. Whenever people judge whether a play was good or not, cough, one yard line, Seahawks pass against the Patriots. Oh, God. In terms of what happened. (laughs) It's like, but just because what happened wasn't good doesn't mean it was a bad call. 
Anyway, soapbox and rant over anyway. Wait, don't tell me that you're justifying the play call. Is That's not what I'm taking out of this, right? Um, I'm justifying, what, well, what they should have done was they should have uh, at least faked it, to, faked it to Lynch. That's crazy that they he wasn't even part of this play. Um, and, and the fact that I actually don't hate the pass, I hate the type of pass. What they, what they should have done was really? roll Wilson out, give him a chance to run it in, throw it away, or throw it in the end zone. Because these are these again, these are stats that people don't remember. In that same game, there's four different times Seattle needed one yard from third and one or fourth and one. They went to Lynch that same game four times, and he didn't get it. And I love Lynch. Don't get me, he's the I love Lynch. Don't get me wrong, but for some reason, I wish I could remember the exact stat on it. The NBC Sports next year had the stat, the graphic. Uh, he's statistically one of the worst running backs for some reason in the history of the NFL with given one yard to go. Bizarre, crazy. But Derrick Henry has a, Derrick Henry has a similar stat like that as well. He's also really bad, and he's also an amazing running back. I guess it's just bizarre. So in that same game, they had four chances to get one yard, and he didn't get it. So I think that played a part in it a little bit. But like I said, I think they should have rolled Wilson out, give him a chance to run it in. Throw it, you don't throw a slant to a speed receiver who's not a big, physical, tough, tall guy. That was the mistake. This is blowing my mind. I hadn't thought of it that way. And now I want to go watch the fourth quarter. And I still don't think I'm ready. But because in my, yeah, anyways, this is probably not interesting for most people. But wow, I, because my, in my head, it was always just run it in with Marshawn. That's a no brainer. But I didn't think about him. I mean, it could be a no brainer, but people act as if it's a guarantee. If you give the ball to a guy, he's 1 million percent good. It's a possibility he could have fumbled. It's a possibility he might not have gotten it. Like, I just hate the fact that I'm, and look, I understand very much in the minority on this, (laughs) but I can understand. I hate the fact that people just assume they would have gotten it. No, that's not the way it works. The New England Patriots have a good defense as well. And again, speaking of narratives and how everything would shift, had they gotten that touchdown because they didn't call a timeout, uh, Bill Belichick, Everyone would have said, Belichick, you're a moron. Why didn't you leave more time for Tom Brady? Because there was about 30 or so seconds left. Yeah. In the clock Everyone would have said, Belichick, what are you doing not giving Tom Brady more time to come back to win the game? So narrative 180 completely shifts if they make that play. And I, and I hate how, like I said, results-based oriented thinking. Because it didn't work, then it, therefore it's the worst call in the history of the world. Okay, I like that. Yeah, I, we did a big rant on the pod earlier this season about Jim Harbaugh in a situation where people are up in arms about the call, and I'm with you. I just, I think you work with what you know in that moment. Obviously, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but mm-hmm. there's another example yeah. of that uh, the World Series two years ago, uh, Tampa Bay against was the the Dodgers, I think. I'm pretty sure. And uh, Snell, their their starting pitcher. I always get is it Blake Snell or Ian Snell? I think it was Blake Snell. So uh, his, I think it was game two, I want to say, he started. And the Rays left him in the game in like the fifth or sixth inning. And they left him out there. He gave up two hits. All of a sudden, that game, which seemed to be in hand, they went to the bullpen. Thankfully, their bullpen was able to mop up the mess. The Rays won the game. We're all good. Fast forward to, I believe it was game six. Again, fifth inning. He's rolling, doing really, really well. They take him out. The Rays give up some runs. The bullpen wasn't good. All of a sudden, everyone's saying, what a dumb decision. You should have left Snell in the game. He was on fire. But not one start earlier, his previous start, they left him in past five innings, and he almost coughed up the lead. But because he gave up, uh, because it didn't work and the the bullpen was terrible, all of a sudden it's like, what a terrible decision. You just saw the previous game. Again, you can argue, of course, that they should have left him in. I'm not saying that 
I'm not saying 100% they should have uh, done what they did. You can argue it, but my point is I hated how all the analysts said what a terrible decision that is for taking uh, for taking him out of the game. When you just saw the previous start, that, that almost screwed them. It's just, you know, it's just it, I hate when there's uh, analysts don't actually critically think a little bit more outside of just, well, it didn't work, therefore it's stupid. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's a good example. Holy. I'm getting myself uh, all fired up. Uh, is there any, anything else you want to cover for the NFL, or do we want to talk a little reality TV? Or what are you, anything Ooh, else? Ooh, good question. Did we get all the matchups? I believe we did. I think I'm pretty sure. Well, I guess we could just say, uh, end it off. What's your Super Bowl pick? Uh, Ooh, two teams. I have. Man, I've been flip flopping even up until this moment because <laughs> I haven't had to say it to anyone yet. I have the Chiefs in the AFC. <laughs> And I've been between the Eagles and 49ers, and I haven't been able to stop the flopping, but I think I'm going to say Niners. Yeah, you, I mean, certainly that's obviously a great guess because they look like they're a juggernaut having won 10 in a row to make the playoffs, to get into the playoffs. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, in the NFC Eagles, which is not a big prediction considering that they're the number one seed. And actually, <laughs> kind of breaks my heart a little bit that Mike Williams is out uh, this week because I actually I'm picking the Chargers to to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, may I remind you of what happened? I Pick love the that they were my pick heading into the season. Yeah, Chargers over the Eagles, and uh, yeah, that would be that'd be so much fun. And and you uh, mentioned that you worked uh, been uh, done some work with the uh, LA Chargers. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the last four seasons uh, through Galvanize. Um, which is a program where we work with um, NFL rookies. So flew down to LA in 2019 and then this summer, but obviously the two years in between uh, we did it virtually, but yeah, it's really powerful stuff. It's partially a women's empowerment program. So it brings together different women in sports from all across North America. And then we work directly with the rookies and we tell their story, no football talk allowed. So like, to the very base of like, who are you? How did you get here? What have you been through? And it's a really powerful space. It's not recorded anywhere. It's just for the folks in the room. And the teams love it because it really, really bonds their guys together. And it's like partially media training, but more so it's just like humans connecting. And there's tears every time we've talked about homelessness, imprisonment. We've talked about just domestic abuse. Like we, so many intense things and it always leads to the guys hugging each other. And I lost my dad too. And like, it's such a powerful, vulnerable space that, yeah, I'm really, really grateful to be a part of, but yeah, the chargers have kind of become a team that I cheer for because for the last four seasons, we've worked with the rookies so closely that unless you've been traded there, like you've been part of it, you've been part of our galvanized experience with you. So yeah, it's like cool to cheer for them, knowing them so well in such a brief moment. My rookie this year, um, number 33, Dean Leonard, he's actually uh, from Calgary. So oh, really? that was really, yeah, it was really cool to be paired with a rookie. And I said, oh yeah, I'm from Kimberly. And he's like, no way I've skied there. And it's like, like it's just <laughs> funny that in that moment where we've all got the chargers badges on and everybody's a bit starry eyed, like, wow, we're in the building. This is really cool. Like they're rookies. This is really new to them too. It's just like two Canadian kids kind of like blocking out the noise and looking at each other going like, Holy shit, how cool is this? Yeah. 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 Wow, that's, and, good. that's neat that you're, that you got involved with that. Uh, and I uh, certainly, I'm sure you'll definitely want to be, you know, to be doing more of that and with perhaps other teams as well or, um, uh, 
Yeah, like it's with the travel, it's harder to do a lot of them. Um, but in COVID, like there was one year, I think I worked with five teams. So yeah, like we've done Falcons, Bears, um, the Cowboys is really fun. Like even virtually, you can like feel a bit of the extra shine in the room because it's the Dallas Cowboys. Like, yeah, it's been a really, really rewarding experience and just totally pushes you outside of your comfort zone as an interviewer when you're not just asking about like passer rating and yards and this, when you're actually going like, Hey, I need to get you to trust me. And a big part of that too, is like me sharing my story with them and the women sharing, because it's not just we're here for you. It's we're all here for each other. And like these partnerships last way past the season. Like it's, yeah, it's really powerful, but yeah, like I've, I think we've spoken about this on this pod. I can't remember, but like I'm a cancer survivor and that's something that, I'm always sure to share that with them. And like, this is the biggest thing that I've been through and that's shaped me. And yeah, it's something that I'll hopefully forever be a part of. I've kind of stepped into a bigger role with Galvanize. It's led by Laura Oakman, who's just mm-hmm. the best woman in the whole world. She's the longest tenured sideline reporter in the NFL. She's someone that when she walks into a room, everybody stops because it's like the goddess is here. <laughs> so yeah. I'm really lucky and grateful to be working with her. And she's like family to me. And yeah, I can't go into it too much yet, but it's leading into a going back to school opportunity. So, excellent. Well, that's mm-hmm. awesome. That's uh, yeah. very very excited for you because I yeah, I can only imagine like for me if I somehow got into a, you know working for the Seahawks organization and uh, perhaps succeeding Pete Carroll as the, ne- as the next head coach. Probably <laughs> not going to happen. You know, honestly, working in any capacity with an NFL team would just be oh my goodness, that'd be amazing. So that's awesome. Mm, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's. That's amazing. Proud of you for, for that, for sure. Uh, well, yeah, so I, we mentioned you. Let's, let's talk a little bit of reality TV, of course. Uh, before Hell we get yeah. into Bachelor in Paradise and the Bachelor uh, <laughs> universe, I know it's been a few months ago that the, the last few seasons had ended, but the new season is going to start here, The Bachelor. Uh, Bachelor. Uh, is there any reality shows currently that you're watching that you can maybe sell me on that you're uh, dialed in on? Or uh, Ooh, I, know I always ago, watch anything... Fly. Anything trashy that comes up on Netflix, I will immediately watch, like, the variety of, like, Too Hot to Handle, um, Love is Blind, love that. Um, I'm watching The Circle right now, which is less dating, but it's, like, a singles version of it, which is fun. I watch a lot of reality dating television, and I'm hyper single in a small town where I'll never meet anybody, so we'll pretend there isn't a correlation there. (laughs) But... Yeah, the circle is what I'm watching right now. Everything else I'm caught up on, but I just I love all the Love Island, like all mm-hmm. that trash. Just like feed it to me endlessly. I'll watch it. The <laughs> for all those different shows. Yeah, I watched the first season. Sorry, first two seasons of Too Hot to Handle. Pretty interesting concept for those who haven't watched. Essentially, the uh, they get penalized and they lose money if they like make out or do anything untoward they're trying to basically form connections with each other so they lose money if they do so so that's a, that's a pretty interesting show concept love is blind i've ranted about that on this podcast a few different times i saw season one very interesting show love the concept really cool but i hated how at least maybe it's changed after season one but i've been told it hasn't like the whole point of the show, the concept is love is blind. You don't see the person and then you get to know them for them. And eventually I would hope, of course, you're obviously going to eventually see them. But by episode, the end of episode one, they saw each other. Some of them. It's like the whole concept of the show is over before the first episode of the show is done. It's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So maybe they've changed. I don't think they have. Because I think mm, No, I'll season- give you a bunch of counterpoints for that. Okay, sure. When go. you're done. No, go for it. 
Um, I, I do get what you're saying. I wish the time in the pods was longer because I find that to be the most exciting of it. But I think the premise of it is they see each other and then they watch how much they truly fall apart. And a big part of this season was because none of the men thought that these smoking hot women were hot. They weren't attracted to them in any way. And they were like getting drunk and letting them know. And it was really problematic. <laughs> but I think yeah. that's the interesting part is like, is love blind? Like, because you can in the pods you can speculate all you want but until you see each other that's where the experiment part of it really holds the weight back to the original question because that's where you sort it out if it is or not i wish right. the time in the pods was longer mm -hmm. but i think like more of the experiment process is like okay now you're thrown into the real world out of this completely unrealistic dream situation where you spend so much time there's all these butterflies and you're dating or whichever and you don't need to worry about physical insecurities you don't need to worry about is my body language coming across wrong like that's where i just find that the because where it truly falls apart is always when they see each other in person thus proving the point love is in fact not blind because that's really unrealistic <laughs> Right. Okay. Okay. You saw me at that point. That's pretty good. I hadn't thought of it that way. I would just, uh, cause I always wanted more time in the pods again, to be fair, I only saw season one of that. So I'm not sure maybe the show's. I'm sure it's evolved a little bit on that. Uh, the circle, I watched the first two or three seasons, really a fascinating concept. Yeah. They, they don't know each other at all. They're, they're just communicating through a computer screen and they could either be themselves or they can be pretending to be someone else. And uh, the, the, just based on the messaging back and forth with each other, they decide who they like, and then eventually it goes down to the end, and whoever wins the game. Very fascinating show. Actually, I really like The Circle. Very, very interesting. Uh, Love Island, I saw the first few seasons of the uh, American one. Loved it. Great. Mm -hmm. The narrator, fantastic. Loved the narrator, the first few so seasons. So funny. But then this last so season, funny. they got rid of the narrator because it, it left CBS, and they went, I guess, with the original narrator from the UK, I think. And it's like, this guy... Is horrible compared to the other narrator. Did you watch this, this last season? I, has, I has yeah. have to watch it, and I will watch it, but I, I watched the first few episodes, and I'm like, this the whole essence of the show now is over with the, my, my favorite narrator. Yeah, the first one, he was so funny because he would just roast them. He was amazing, this narrator guy. <laughs> so <It> was, good. <laughs> and then, again, the other, he wasn't horrific, this other guy, but at least in my estimation, maybe he gets better this last season. It just wasn't the same. Like, no, I missed the guys. So the whole essence of the show was not quite the same, sadly. Um, but yeah, I actually, I got way behind on quite a few reality shows, but I did manage to binge uh, the last seven or eight se uh, episodes of uh, The Bachelorette and all of okay. Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, just so I can talk to you about these uh, shows. Uh, and I wrote down a few notes because I know, like I said, it's been a while since these seasons have been uh, finished. Uh, one of the notes uh, that I wrote down, uh, well, the new bachelor is uh, his name is Zach. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? I thought he was just like nothing, nothing contestant. Although he looked very much like former NHL defenseman Willie Mitchell. Oh, funny! <laughs> I do see that. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we spoke about this off air before we started recording when we were. Oh, who's the name of the new bachelor? And then my response was at the same time that you came up with it was I'm guessing it's some boring white guy named like Zach. And it happens <laughs> to be Zach. He I just find him very forgettable. I find yeah. Clayton very forgettable. Colton like there have been all of these dudes that have Colton has gotten less forgettable. Like they they've done stuff after and their journeys have been wild but um yeah i find it's a lot of very forgettable white dudes and mm -hmm. 
it just kind of feels like the same thing again and again and like I don't know once again I just wish we could have a bit more diversity and a bit more personality absolutely if I'm, I'm almost sure our last podcast we had we talked about this a little bit what I uh, can't stand is so it used to be uh, for Survivor or Big Brother any of these different reality shows that I love it used to be uh, 16 contestants 14 white people one black guy one black woman uh, that was pretty much it every single that was that was the way they did it every single season now thankfully so <laughs> they, they've had a bunch it's it's 50 50 pretty much BIPOC and and white and Caucasians but here's my point here's my uh, my issue with it they've gone there's like never any Asians who are put on the show now zero or one so it's like you basically replaced in a way segregate oh yeah segregating uh uh people from being off the show with only having one or two black people with doing the exact same thing now with Asian people it just I just find it so bizarre and yet it it's actually gotten even less Asian people believe it or not it's just I, I, I don't understand it's, it's just so silly to me I just wish it was well there are so many groups being misrepresented indigenous folks like that I just wish that it was a situation where it was more representative of a typical landscape when you go into a city where you see all sorts of folks and all sorts of, like that I just find it yeah not very because exactly there's like there's just a lot of people and groups being left out and I just I don't like that I don't like that direction and I never understood that with Survivor, especially back in the day, because obviously, you know, 39 days, all these people are living together, forming their own society. Of course, they vote people off, blah, blah, blah. But I would have thought it would have been more interesting because, of course, the show wants drama. They want different – you would think they would want different different views, different ways of viewing the world, different things going on. You'd think they'd want to have people from all different walks of life. Totally. Because then that would create drama, which is what they want in the first place. So it just it just baffles me, these decisions that are that are made – I guess I, I I don't know. Obviously, I'm not part of the decision making process process on that, but it just it disappoints me. And as you said, like I know they had uh, Matt on the as the Bachelor. Um, I'm really bad with names, so they had Matt. They had Tasha and Michelle. I think those are the three. And that's that's when it was around the time people were like, "Oh, wait a minute! There's never been a black lead on the Bachelor or the Bachelorette in like 24 seasons or whatever it was." Then they had their couple, uh, three, sorry. I believe it was three, maybe more. And then they've gone back to like, yeah, the guys are like, Clayton? Really? Willie oh. Mitchell? Really? Like, it's just like bizarre choices that are boring. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I'm with you. I just find it, any series like that could be a lot richer if you bring in different cultures, different experiences, like just different viewpoints. But yeah, they're... They cater to a certain group of people, I think, and they just kind of stick with their formula and then they only make any sort of adaptation when there's backlash, rightfully so. And yeah, like you said, it feels like they just took a bit of a step back after being a little more diverse with it. 100%. Uh, Back to the Bachelorette season uh, with Gabby and Rachel. Did you like that concept that there was two uh, women uh, uh, vying for the men's attention? My my favorite part of the season, uh, I'm sure you noticed this, I hope you noticed it and made it some part of a drinking game, perhaps, was uh, <laughs> Gabby. Gabby would always say, yeah, yeah, yeah. A thousand times. Did you ever yeah. notice that? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. It was nonstop. It was hilarious. Did you notice that? I actually didn't notice it, but I can hear her oh. saying it in my head. I love Gabby. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's great. She's great. It was just hilarious to me. It was nonstop. Well, I guess once mm. you hear it, you can't unhear it type of thing. Yeah. I 
I liked the premise of it. I didn't actually mind it. My issue with The Bachelor and Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise 2, is that it is becoming so overproduced. Mm. Big time. And it's always been produced, obviously. I'm not an idiot. But it just feels like they're implementing so many four storylines. Like the whole BAP, was it Shelly that had the suitcase? Then they found the vibrator in the suitcase. And it's just like, (laughs) get out of here with this, with all of Mm. this. Like so many things are so forced and there's always like one character that's the villain and, and, and I get it, but like, I don't think they realize that a lot of people would really buy in if they just genuinely like focused on the love story side of things, than just creating this drama because it just feels so like icky a bit. And there was someone on BIP that was on bachelor Australia. I don't remember her hmm. name. Um, She came out and, she was talking about how different of an experience this is and how she hated it because it was so produced compared to her experience in Australia. And I think a lot of people would really buy into kind of that OG, like let's just film drunk, horny people and it'll sort itself (laughs) out drama wise. (laughs) They they don't trust their casting, I guess. Uh, They have to like shoehorn, as you said, they have to shoehorn in different scenarios or like, oh, these two people are seemingly really happy. Well, we got to screw that up. Like they don't trust... Mm -hmm process essentially to borrow a term from the philadelphia 76ers years ago <laughs> uh i wrote down a couple of things that did happen that were interesting from the bachelor okay. season. the that i'm sure you found fascinating the uh eliza rodney and justin love triangle speaking of them them trying to shoehorn things in justin <laughs> left the season and then they're like oh rodney and eliza are really happy let's bring him back oh he comes back and then all of a sudden uh, what do you think of the whole situation with the that love triangle that was that was a lot of drama I felt so bad for Rodney. It was so hard to watch. But then something that, because I was team Rodney and it was a bit like, girl, what are you doing? Like, come on. He's right there. And you guys were so happy. And then he comes back and then she like flew to where he was and he kind of rejected her. Like, it was all very dramatic. But, and I am team Rodney. I think she was pretty blindsided by that. But he had also just done the same thing to Lace. And Lace is not necessarily my favorite bachelor person on the planet but i feel like not a lot and everybody was like crying and freaking out and melting down about poor rodney was hurt and i'm like yeah i'm sad for the guy too but i don't think a lot of people necessarily connected like hey man like i get it but this is also what you just did to lace right yeah and that sucked and like she obviously had a really hard time with it because she left which i think they stole that whole little like they're leaving to basically the Casa more equivalent. I think that was stolen directly from Love Island. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a good premise. Like, it works because it creates a lot of drama. Like, that got things going. But, yeah, he had just done the exact same thing, and not a lot of people really brought that up. That's a really good point. I forgot to – you're right. And uh, the other point that was – it was a tough situation for him uh, is that uh, – I guess Eliza said, hey, are you cool if I go on this date with Justin? And then Rodney was like, yeah, like, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, tell you what to do type thing or whatever. It's she put him in a, such a tough spot with that. I hated that. 100% because it's like, obviously, if he says, like, no, you can't go on that date. Well, then it's going to be like, well, you can't tell me what to do. But then he said, no, no, go do your thing. And then she was upset with him for that as well. But I guess it, well, it did all blow up in her face because then she went to find Justin afterwards because uh, she, she eventually did uh, let Justin go. And then he basically was just like, you should have picked me. Why didn't you pick me? So basically she lost it on both guys yeah. because of her um, indecisiveness on that one. So I thought that love triangle was a interesting part of the season. Then of course there was the, 
tumultuous to say the least relationship aaron and genevieve oh that was my uh, god my goodness if if you I'm, I'm no relationship expert obviously spoiler alert but if you uh um are on the show and you have like whatever five fights in like five days like five explosive fights probably not a good sign and just no absolutely no self-awareness of reading the room like when they were all out on the day bed everybody was out on the bed together and then they just got started this rip roar and passive aggressive fight sitting amongst all your friends and like i could never imagine a scenario if i had a partner and we were among a bunch of friends just openly attacking someone and then everybody just eventually got up and left. Like they had no awareness of like, oh, this is making everyone else deeply uncomfortable right now. They, to me, were the perfect yeah. example of two people that have a lot of personal work to do before you're ready to get married. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and I, when I was in my early 20s, mid 20s, there was no way I could have gone on that show because I would have projecting, been projecting all of my self-doubt, all of my insecurities, all of the times I'd been hurt onto other people. And I've done a lot of work to work that out. And I still, everybody still has work to do on themselves. Mm -hmm. But that was a situation where it's like everyone in this, everyone needs therapy. Like everyone needs to learn that it's not okay to speak to each other like that. And I thought I, Genevieve, I thought she showed some growth in the season where she was less reactive. And but Aaron, like, man, there was some gaslighting. There was some emotional abusive things said. Like it was really uncomfortable to watch. Oh yeah, more like obviously they want uh, drama and all that stuff on the show, and I understand that. But it definitely felt more than just the typical like oh arguments drama. I was like, ooh, this is like. Like yeah. you said, very uncomfortable. Not good at all. Yikes. Uh, to, to a much lesser extent, because it wasn't as blowout arguments, but of course there was also the Kate and Logan um, uh, <laughs> love affair type thing. And Kate was, uh, to be honest, I don't even remember her on her original season at all, but she came in guns a-blazing. And uh, I, I absolutely hated the fact that, like, you can, like, of course, decide you're not into Logan. That makes, of course, do, do you do you, do you, boo, as they say. But... The fact that she would just openly like mock him like so much, like, oh, he only is driving this car or he has roommates or whatever. I thought that was totally unnecessary. And then in the um, whatever they call it, the after the final rose thing, the reunion show, she's like, Oh yeah, you weren't meant to hear me ripping you. That was her apology. Oh, you weren't meant to be hearing me saying all these horrible things about you. And he's like, uh, the, the cameras and microphones everywhere. What are you talking about? It was the You're on a TV was, show. It was the worst apology I've ever heard, I think. It was so bad. Yeah, there was no accountability. There was no, like... Yeah, that, that one did blow my mind. It's like, oh, you weren't meant to hear that. It's like, you think that you're going to say that 45 times, 45 different people, and they're not going to air it and make a huge obvious segment about you going around being really, really shallow and disrespectful? But, like, get out of you, here. You've had all these months... Like, you've had all of these... I'm presumably it's a few months after the show was over... To think, to craft your response, to make yourself not look as bad. Although perhaps she just wanted to be the heel, I guess. Maybe she wanted to be memorable and she wanted to be talking about like we're talking about now. So now that I think about it, maybe she did it on purpose to, to get people talking about her. So yeah, you know what? Now that I think about it, she was probably trolling there trying to get people to talk about her. And you know what? It worked, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, because we are talking about her. You know what? Yeah. I, with Gabby, with Rachel, with Shanae, with Kate, with everybody that sees Logan and they're like, oh, I want that guy. Never once have I understood that. The first second I saw Logan, I'm like, night one, he'd be gone. I got creepy vibes from him. 
I'm not attracted to him in the slightest, which to each their own. I don't ever want to put down anybody's looks. Just not for me necessarily. But there's something about him that I'm like, what is everybody seeing? Like, it's almost infuriating. Like, what am I missing with Logan? What can somebody, can you tell me what am I missing with him? Because he, everybody's always fighting over him. And I'm like, maybe, maybe it's a bit of a mysterious side, maybe. And also like a side that they want to, like they, he doesn't like give all of himself to them, so they're like thinking, "Oh, there's like this mysterious bad boy." I, I put that in quotation marks. Side to him, that's <laughs> like he doesn't seem like one at all. But uh, yeah, it's a good question. That's yeah, a good point. I yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know, but I can't. There is funny how there's a, on so many different seasons. There is, typically there is that one contestant. You're like, but why? Why yeah, is everyone yeah, going so- crazy for them? You know. <laughs> So. Yeah, and he's one that like not only did he get around with the two contestants, Rachel and Gabby, but then so I'm thinking when he shows up to I was gonna say Love Island to Bachelor in Paradise, I thought like oh I, yeah I just don't really see him being like the one that everybody's obsessed with, and he was. Everybody loves themselves some Logan, and I just it's it's definitely if anyone uh, has the answers, I mean I'm I'm very willing to listen. Yeah, definitely perplexing. Uh, well, we'll wrap up the Bachelor in Paradise talk with this last part, of course. Uh, the, the ending of the season is so funny that uh, I thought Victoria and Johnny, like even though they're in the final two uh, couples, like they're like maybe going to get married. I'm like, no chance. Because the previous season, Johnny had basically been like, you got to the final four or something like that, spoiler alert. And then he was like, you know, I'm not ready for marriage. So I thought the whole way through is it was going to be because he was like, yeah, not going to happen type thing but then of course we've come to realize that victoria and greg greg who is not beloved for the way he handled the end of his season with i can't remember who the bachelorette was i'm always bad at that uh and then victoria are now together uh what do you think of their hilariously lame excuses for why they were together or when they were together their timeline of events all that stuff it was so shady. It was so shady. All of it was just like, oh, and then you were in Europe and then you broke up with me there. And like, what, weren't you in Europe with him? And then there's matching tattoos. And like, all of it was just very like, what? And we were, it was the same episode that you're just coming off of the finale where, yeah, they didn't seem like the strongest couple there. They felt very much like the 13 and three Green Bay Packers of a few years ago where they were 13 and three, but everyone was like, that's the worst 13 and three team I've ever seen. <laughs> they felt like that to me where they were there and they were technically together, whichever, but it was like, you guys aren't going the distance. You're not as good as your record. But like that. that's good. then it just took so many turns and it just kept turning. And like I, and Jesse was referencing, I want to get your thoughts about him after, by the way. Mm-hmm. He was referencing like, yeah, there's been a ton of buzz online and I'm, I was watching it like, oh, I missed all of that buzz because I was hearing every sniff of that for the first time and my mind was blown. Yeah. Uh, well, like, we referenced it, but I just thought it was so funny that, again, I urge you contestants, future contestants on reality shows, especially The Bachelor, if you're going to try to cover your, cover up like the fact that you were dating someone when you shouldn't have been or whatever, like Victoria and... Um, uh, I just forgot his name already. Uh, Victoria, Greg. Greg, thank you. Uh, did get your story straight? Because yes. she said, "Well, it's been like whatever five, six weeks since we filmed." And then he was like, "Yeah, I saw you like next week after or something like that." Get your team up and at least get your story straight. It's ridiculous. Have the like, talk. Like if if you're trying to pull the wool over everyone's eyes, which is no chance you're going to be able to do that anyway, because of everyone who's obsessed with finding out the information about you guys. At least get your story straight. Yeah. Then they're like, yes. we met. We met for the first time in Rome. Okay. 
sure. But the best part, I love the whole thing was they're like, yeah, you said we got matching tattoos and said, ciao. Like, oh, so, so now because you got matching tattoos, it says, ciao, we're led to believe you actually were in Rome, whether so you couldn't get matching tattoos. It says ciao in like Tennessee, for example, or whatever. We got tattoos. I guess we're going to do that. You both got those tattoos? I guess, I guess we're doing that. Screw it, right? <laughs> it says ciao. It's in Italian for hi. Um, dude, uh, I'm pretty sure we all knew what that meant or whatever, right? So it was that was just so funny <laughs> to me. That's hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah, the whole thing was just really, really dramatic. And then Johnny, he was like the total victim in it. And it's like, Johnny, you've had kind of weird, bad vibes this whole time. Like, he was just never someone I really trusted. Like, he... He claimed to be so in love with her and she's the one, but it's like you just watched him come off a big freak out in the final three of his season. And yeah, Johnny doesn't do a thing for me. It just never has. Well, again, it just goes to back to like, it just seems w- weird to me. Like in theory, you're trying to cast people who are supposed to try and find love. And all of his seasons, he's openly admitted, yeah, I'm not he's ready not for ready. it. So like, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just <laughs> funny to me. Like, good for him for, I guess, fooling them or I don't know, well, clearly he didn't fool them. But good for him for being on a couple of seasons and getting his name out there. But it's if it's just weird to me. They were openly casting someone who clearly didn't want to get married. Very, very bizarre. But very yeah, weird. That, the whole Greg and Victoria stuff is just it's just hilarious how they had to explain everything and they were completely wrong with everything. It was it was a treat to watch, let me tell you. Well, this uh this episode's been a treat actually of the of the H Pod episode 91, the Alexander Degg edition. What a beauty that guy was. Oh, oh. But before we wrap this up though, I forgot you had said uh thoughts about jesse palmer what uh what are your what are your questions oh just my question is just what are your thoughts about him we had chris harrison for many many years and i think he's rightfully gone but i've jesse man i like him i and then i saw him on tsn doing a hit the other day and and i'm like man this guy can do it all like (laughs) i hadn't really heard him talk about football a lot and i was hearing him i'm like damn you're really good at talking about football you're really good at creating vulnerable safe spaces for a bunch of idiots like he he's a man that i'm just pretty impressed with yeah well quick story about chris harrison by the way uh, uh last blue jays season i went out with uh with our good friend adam skelly to a blue jays game met up with a couple people afterwards uh and i somehow i i, I did it as a joke initially but i because my last name is harrison i said like chris harrison was my uncle and they actually bought it like they legitimately bought it which was the funny and i kept adding stuff to the story to see how much more i can like dig myself into a into a hole to see eventually they're going to call me out on it they legitimately bought the fact that chris harrison was, was my uncle i'd love that so much i uh, love yeah. that for you it, it was i love doing that it was so funny uh jesse palmer uh i think he's really good yeah he's uh, he's completely polished totally solid really really good it just yeah feels like he's been doing it the whole time and i thought i would have mm-hmm. thought i would have missed my uncle chris harrison but uh yeah, he's, he's solid. He's really good. Yeah, yeah I've been fine without Uncle Chris, too. I was ready to press on, turn the page, and Jesse's been a viable replacement. Yeah, he's been great. Well, Katie, this has been a, a fantastic episode. Uh, where can the people uh, find you on the social medias? Ooh, across the board, I am at Katie Loris, L-A-U-R-I-S-S. It is my middle name. A lot of people think it's my last name and get vastly confused. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's where you can find me. Just doing our thing. The podcast is called the Sean and Shook Podcast. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much, Katie. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. That was an absolute blast talking all things NFL with Katie. 
we should be in store for an epic NFL playoffs. And here's hoping there's not some controversial call that sullies the postseason. By the time this podcast comes out, there's a pretty good chance I'll be drowning my sorrows over a Seahawks playoff loss. You are correct, Hound Dog. The Seahawks are losers. But either way, it's been an incredibly fun and unexpected year, so I'm very thankful for that. Don't forget, if you're interested, you can follow my All Bets Power Off Golf Picks videos on Twitter and Instagram at Hound Dog Harrison. It's a very happy three-year anniversary to me, the most important of all the milestones, obviously. Clearly. Without question. Right? I think? Thank you for listening to episode 91 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang.